0: Good morning, Hub Community Church. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak. Uh, I know Andy's already introduced me, or I, somebody will have introduced me, I think, um, but my name is Fiona Coombs, and I live in Kent, uh, along with my husband James and our three daughters, Samantha, Abby and Rebecca. And uh, today we've got a mix of sun and cloud, so I hope you're enjoying, but at least it's dry and it seems to be warmer, so I hope you're enjoying some good weather in Basingstoke or wherever you're tuning in from. This morning, I want to talk to you about looking, the theme of looking to the interests of others. And uh, before I get into that, I just want to. Um, maybe prime you around giving you some some examples of how other people actually have looked to the interests of me and my family over this last season, um certainly over this covid season. so we have had um, a number of uh, cakes delivered, anonymous cakes sometimes um sometimes people have delivered them and we 've known who they are we 've had an afternoon tea bought for us and delivered. We had a home cinema treat box. I didn't even know those existed, but it did. And it arrived on our doorstep with popcorn and sweets and a list of family films. We've had a full dinner arrive on our doorstep one evening, um, probably just before dinner time, including pudding. And um, it was the middle of the week. And it was just such a blessing when that arrived, not to have to think about what we were going to eat and what I was going to cook. Um, we've had drinks delivered, um, teas and coffees. We've had um, unprompted texts um, with words of encouragement and prayer and flowers. And um, particularly, I think, I mean, all of it has been a blessing, but particularly the the unprompted text messages or notes in a card put through our door about um, scripture verses of encouragement or how people have been praying for us has Uh, been the thing that has touched me particularly um, because people don't we don't always know what the other person's going through and some of those have been uh, very very timely for us and for me particularly and uh, i've just been really blessed about how people have responded to the prompting of the holy spirit and challenged about whether i respond to his prompting because it enables me as the receiver to um, be reminded about how much God loves me and how much he thinks of me um, because other people don't know that I need those words of encouragement at that point but he does so can I just encourage you while just to hold that in mind while we're thinking about looking to the interests of others so there are three things I want to just talk about this morning they maybe don't flow neatly one to the other but three things that I felt the Lord had laid on my heart when looking at this Um, Topic of looking to the interests of others. So, the extent to which I feel I need to exercise my freedom ultimately gives away my maturity in Christ. Looking to the interests of others is an expression of us being joined into the body of Christ. And our love for others, both in and outside of the church or the body of Christ will reveal how much of Jesus' disciple we are and how much we are being transformed into his likeness. It's a tangible witness and proclamation of his gospel. So thinking about the first point, the extent to which I need to exercise my freedom ultimately will give away my maturity in Christ. And I want to particularly look at 1 Corinthians 8 for this. Verses 9 through to 13. Now, 1 Corinthians in our scriptures is Paul's um, first letter, although it's probably his second letter to the Corinthians. And a lot of what he writes in this letter, and in particularly in this section, is in response to something that they've already written to him. So, if you can imagine, in our modern context, it's a bit like following a text message conversation where you might Hold your finger on one part and say oh i'm going to respond to this now and then oh actually there's another part i didn't answer because they asked me a question here and i'm going to respond to that and it's a bit like that in this section of this letter and for that reason this passage sort of stands alone because paul is kind of going now about this now about that now about this and he gets to this point and he says now about food being offered to idols and this isn't the only time that Paul in his letters talks about food and freedom. Uh, he talks about it quite, quite at length in Romans chapters 14 and 15 as well. But I want to focus in on this bit here. So let's read. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So can we hear the warning from Paul here? If in my knowledge and freedom, I destroy someone with a weaker conscience, then I sin against Christ. If we are Jesus's disciples, he commands us to love others. We might have the right or the freedom in our own conscience to do lots of things that is permissible. But if in the exercise of those rights and my freedom, I trample on somebody else who hasn't quite got there, or feels that they aren't able to do so, and I cause them to cross their own conscience with whatever it is I'm expressing in my freedom, then we're not filled with God's love for them. That's really challenging, isn't it? To think that in exercising my freedom in whatever it is, maybe it's reading, maybe it's films, maybe it's music I listen to, Um, maybe it's maybe it is food I eat maybe it's things that I drink maybe it's whether I wear a mask or not Um, maybe it's about how I express my freedom in this particular moment in time after freedom Monday but if I what I do causes somebody else to cross their own conscience and they are not haven't got the same ability or the same freedom then we're sinning against them So if I cause someone to stumble because of my freedom, Paul is saying, I don't love them. And looking out for others in this way isn't an optional extra. It's an imperative, it's something we have to do. If we claim to be in Jesus, our Jesus followers, then looking out for others isn't an optional extra. And it's so much easier to follow rules, isn't it? Than to be given freedom to do anything. And we have got freedom in Christ, but we still need to be looking out to others as we express that. And um, Romans 14 also talks about keeping our freedoms between us and the Lord. So just because I'm free doesn't mean I need to go around telling everybody that I'm free from a particular thing or free to do something or free not to do something. It's between us and the Lord. Now, I want to tell you a bit of a story um, when I was about nineteen or twenty, um, I was um, on holiday with some friends of mine. And we were like a youth group who'd grown up together and we went to a friend's um, cottage that's a that 's a big thing in Canada going to the cottage and we went there and um, he had a, his family owned a boat. And, um, something called tombstoning is a big, big thing. So you, you go in a lake and you find a cliff and you jump off the cliff. And, um, but you're supposed to jump in a particular way. So you're supposed to kind of launch yourself off, cross your arms, point your feet down and go straight down. And that, that way your feet hit the water first and, um, you still need to be careful of rocks. But a friend knew the area and he knew where to go and that was fine. Um, I do not like hype. I hate roller coasters. <laughs> I have my entire life. Um, but friends of mine who don't have those same, uh, f- they're more free than I am in those areas, persuaded me that to jump off this cliff would be fun and exhilarating and I would really enjoy it if I could just get over my fear. So um, I, I, on the basis of their persuasion and their freedom, I overrode all my internal I don't think I really want to do this and got to the top of the cliff and um, I can still feel my stomach going now thinking about it and um, all my friends went I think bar one um, and I was trying to build up the courage to go and I thought right this is it I'm, I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it and I so I took a run at it like you're supposed to and I decided at the very last minute that actually I really didn't want to do this and I wasn't brave enough to do it Except that gravity had already taken hold of the situation and disagreed with the decision, my last minute decision in my mind. And I, instead of jumping neatly and safely away from the cliff, I sort of half stumbled And fell in a sort of very spectacular, I'm not sure how high it was, 30 feet has been quoted before, but it it was at least two stories, if not higher, um, into some spectacular front forward belly flop from a height. And I... Um, so the water, if you've ever hit water at uh, that speed and that height, the water just slapped the whole front of my body. I was winded. I couldn't breathe. I wasn't sure I was still alive. Um, my friends tell the story about... Um, just all of them holding their breath until I broke the water again and came up for air um, because no one was quite sure whether I had survived either watching. My friend had to pull me by my face back to the boat because I couldn't really swim because anyway, it was not great. And I then had moments of um, probably, um, um, re, um, what's that word, recall, not not PTSD, but just that back flashes um, of, of falling all all night where I was jerking awake because I was in the sense Of falling. Anyway, the point is that I had overridden my conscience or my internal working on the basis of my friends' conviction that actually they could do this. And they did. They loved it. They carried on doing it. I sat comfortably in the boat until it was time to go home. Um, And I've never done that again or tried to do that. And my point is that those of us who are more mature in Christ. Um, we don't need to prove that we're free by exercising our rights or our knowledge. Love prefers. Jesus, who was the most free individual who's ever lived, always preferred. He had the most knowledge and yet chose to restrain himself. He didn't shout. He didn't cajole the disciples. He allowed people to come to their own revelation about who he was And how free they could be as well and we need to have that same patience with other people remember what Romans 14 and 15 say keep your freedom between yourself and the Lord so the next point looking to the interests of others is an expression of us being joined in the body of Christ Philippians 2 Verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded and having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others above yourself not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is Paul's letter to the Philippians, and unlike the letters to the Corinthians, this was not in response to any specific questions, and the whole letter could be read as one train of thought. The verses that come before this passage talk about Paul being in chains and proclaiming the gospel out of love and not out of selfish ambition. And Paul talks about being torn, saying that to stay in his body means that he's fruitful, but to leave means that he can be with Christ. And so he declares to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And Paul then calls the Philippians to live lives worthy of the gospel, being one in the spirit and to suffer for the gospel. And then comes to this, therefore, therefore, value others above yourselves don't look to your own interests but look to the interests of others and we live in a world that encourages us to look after ourselves to fight for our rights to party anybody anybody else 90s children no well i'm not a 90s child i'm a 70s child and that was the beastie boys somewhere around the late 80s early 90s We have the right to express ourselves, don't repress yourself, to quote Madonna. And that's almost regardless of the impact it might have on others, that to be independent from other people is the pinnacle of what we need to achieve and that that is our sign of strength to the world. I'm not so sure. That we're entitled to our own comforts, our own pleasures, and self fulfillment. And if anybody's getting in the way of that, well, we just need to ditch them, ghost them, move on. They're holding you back. Actually, it is truly countercultural to lay down our interests for the interests of others. When we do that, it in itself is a proclamation of the gospel, it declares who God is. It declares who Jesus is. It declares that we're following his example, the one who laid down his life. And Philippians 2 goes on to talk about how Jesus emptied himself, didn't consider himself to be above, making himself into the image of man, into a man, not even the image of a man, but into man, in order to save those around him. What if everyone saw us looking to the interests of others, laying aside our own interests, what would it look like if we did that? Now there is a song, um, I just want to think about this for a minute, there's a song called The Reckless Love of God. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the ninety-nine. And I love that song. Reminds me of how much God loves me, how much he pursues me. But the problem with that song is that it makes me the one. And actually, those of us who love Jesus and have come to know him, we're not the one anymore. We are the 99. And so in looking to the interests of others, Actually, sometimes we need to lay down things about church, about the 99 that we enjoy, that we love in order to pursue God's heart. That reckless love of God that chases us down to chase the one. And I know Andy has been talking to you all about that and he hasn't paid me. And this is something that I've come to on my own as well. What would it mean? What does it mean If we follow Jesus's example and go after the one and leave the 99. I'm just going to maybe leave us thinking about that. Also, what would it mean if each generation laid down its interests for the interests of the other? Now, I can hear some of the older folk raising a cheer saying, here we go. Fiona's going to tell the younger generation to lay down what they want for us. Actually, can I just remind you what 1 Corinthians 8 talked about, about the weaker brother? Generations behind those who are more mature, they are the weaker ones. Actually, we need to be looking out for them. We can lay down our own interests for them. And also, I keep thinking, do you know what? In 50 years' time, I hope I'm still in the church. I hope maybe we'll still be around. That would make me 98 um, you can do the quick maths if you want to. But am I going to be around to be influencing church? Do I want the church to reflect what I want at 98? Or actually, do I want it to take into account what they want at the age of 20? Those who are going to be there for the next 70 years. Those who are going to lead it for the next 70 years. Those who are going to bring in their generation to know Jesus. So uh, I'm looking now to laying down, even for me and my generation, what does it mean for us to lay that down, to look to the interests of those coming up behind us? Because I want them to go further, faster. I want Jesus to return in my generation. I'm not sure I'll see it, but I want it to come in their generation, if not mine. And I want them to be on fire for God, pursuing the gospel. And I don't want to stand in the way of that. So I want my generation to lay down its own interest, to look to the interests of that younger generation coming through, what can we do to encourage them? What can we do to chase the ones in that generation who are gonna pursue God, who are gonna be the next Jacobs, who are gonna be the next Heidi Bakers, who are gonna be the next preachers and teachers? Where are they? And my final point, our love for others both in and outside of the body of Christ will reveal how much Jesus' disciple we are and how much we have been transformed into his likeness. It's a tangible witness and proclamation of the gospel. And the passage for this is John 13 verses 34 to 35. These are Jesus' words and it comes during the Passover meal. One day before Jesus is about to die, and just after he's washed his disciples' feet, some of his last words to his disciples before his own death. And he says this, A new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. And I don't know that there's anything else to add to what Jesus says. It's an uncomfortable mirror, that verse, isn't it? Maybe... Think about standing in front of a mirror. And if you have one to hand, maybe look at it. Who do people see? Do they see you in the reflection? Or do they see Jesus through you? Can they see through you as his disciple through to him, to his kindness that leads to repentance, to his message of salvation, to him as king? Can they see Jesus through you? Our actions, our lives say something. Do we proclaim the gospel with our actions? Do we declare ourselves as his disciples in the way we interact with one another? The gospel is good news. Are we proclaiming it through our actions and our lives to a world looking for hope, love, restoration and meaning? So to finish, I'll just recap my main points and leave us with some questions. The extent to which I feel I need to exercise my freedom will ultimately give away my maturity in Christ. Looking to the interests of others, is an expression of us being joined in the body of Christ. Our love for others, both in and outside the body of Christ, will reveal how much of Jesus' disciple we are and how much we have been or are being transformed into his likeness. It's a tangible witness and a proclamation of the gospel. So just some final things to think about. What would it look like If an older generation laid down itself for a younger one and looked to the interests of a younger generation, what would we look like as the body of Christ if we washed each other's feet, if we truly laid down our lives for others? If if the Lord leaves the 99 to go after the one, how comfortable am I with the idea that I'm part of the 99? that I'm called to lay down my own interests to reach the one? And to what extent have I been and am I being transformed through the Holy Spirit, his prompting and discipling, into the likeness of Jesus? Can people see through me and my agendas to Jesus and to his love for them? Thank you.